Did you find Acts chapter 9? Acts is in the New Testament. And when we read Acts chapter 9, if I can give you a little bit of background, the church was born in the book of Acts. In chapter 2, the church was born on the day of Pentecost through an extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit of God. On the first Sunday of the first church, 3,000 people got saved. And on the second Sunday, 5,000 people got saved. Imagine 8,000 new converts in one week, just like that, from Sunday to Sunday. God was doing extraordinary things, but the church got stuck. They didn't move. They were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but the gospel got stuck in Jerusalem and in Judea. And so God raised up a man to persecute the church. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, did I hear you right? God raised up a man to persecute the church because, unfortunately, throughout history, we've discovered that persecution causes church growth. And when that persecution arose, God used a man named Saul, who we read about here in chapter 9, to stir the church and to scatter it across the, the world. We read here that now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for the letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. And the men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the visitation of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have brought us to your house to hear your word, to eat at your table. I pray now that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of God, and I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might hear the word and receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The first verse of this chapter is rather particularly interesting to me. Because it contains the word threat, murder, and disciple all in the same sentence. When you signed up to become a follower of Jesus, I'm sure threat and murder were not on the agenda. Say amen, somebody. Many times we think that if you are a disciple of Christ, that means you're going to be insulated from the trials of life. Many people think that if you become a follower of Jesus, your problems are over, happy days are here again, and it's smooth sailing. But the fact is that if you decide to follow Jesus, there is an enemy who is determined to persecute you and to drive faith out of your life. And just as that is true in our day, it was true for the first century church. Saul of Tarsus was breathing out threats and murder toward the children of God. 
And I want you to notice a few things about Saul with me this morning. First of all, we understand about Saul of Tarsus was that he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought that he was doing the will of God. He thought he was on the right side of God and on the right side of history. And This uh, theme has been brought to us a few times in the last few weeks by the Lord. As he has reminded us to think carefully about which side we are on. You recall that I told you about Joshua, the captain of the army of Israel, who he went to the side of the, of the Jordan River and he saw the angel of the Lord. And he went up to the angel of the Lord who was dressed in battle uh, apparel and he said, whose side are you on? Are you with me or with my adversary? And the angel of the Lord said to him, I'm neither on your side or on their side. I am on the Lord's side. It's important not to think about whether God is on my side, but I need to be thinking about, am I on God's side? Am I standing where God is standing? Am I doing the will of God? Saul of Tarsus thought that he was doing the will of God. He thought that he was standing on the right side, but the fact was that he was standing against God. He was opposing the work of God for the world, and the, he was opposing the, the very mission of God upon the earth. You see, many times, unfortunately, people will use the Bible to beat up on other people. Sometimes people will use religion to make themselves better than somebody else. And they will use arguments that sound like they're God's arguments. They will use uh, 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 phrases that sound like they're God's phrases. And they're very zealous in their religious uh, appeal. They're very zealous about what they think they know. Because they think they're doing God a favor. They think they're doing God a service by calling out everyone else that's wrong. By pointing out everybody else that's different. Can I tell you, friend, that that's not your job the Bible says, what does God require of you but to love justice, to have mercy, and to walk humbly with God? God didn't call you to set yourself above the world. He didn't call me to set myself above the world, but to love the world as he has loved it and to lay our life down for it. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about being on God's side this morning. When I was a, a younger preacher, I was a, a, a part of a group of young men who were also preachers and they were all about revival. They wanted revival. And they kept praying for revival. But they were also very negative on the church. They always had negative things to say about the church. And, and if I would ask them, how did church go today? They would say something like, well, it could have been better. You know, they always had this sense that the church was not good enough. And if people would just live better. And if people would just dress better. And if people would just speak better, that, that we would have revival in America. We would have revival and outpouring. And this negativity started to weigh me down. And one day in prayer, the Lord brought me to a passage out of the book of Jeremiah. And the, the passage in Jeremiah said, the Lord speaking, he said, you will extract the precious from the worthless. And God said to me, Isaac, I didn't call you to judge my church. I called you to extract the precious out of the worthless. I called you to call those things that are not as though they were. I didn't call you to clean out the church. He said, I'll take care of that. I'll be the one to judge. I'll be the one to clean. You just preach my gospel, preach my word. Come on, somebody. Saul thought he was on God's side, but he was actually standing against God. He was standing in a place as a persecutor of the work and of the people 
of God. Not only this, but Saul was doing was great at doing the wrong thing. Ever been great at doing the wrong thing? Right there in that statement, I just told your testimony, some of you. Some of you used to be real good at doing real bad. But thank you, Jesus, that he saved you. Come on, somebody. I mean, you were the best at it. No matter what sin you were involved in, you were the best at it. I'm sorry I'm reading some of your mail this morning. But you weren't just doing drugs. You were good at doing drugs. You weren't just a thief. You were good at stealing. You weren't just a liar. You were good at lying. But then Jesus came into your life. Come on, somebody. And he made you new. He made you different. Come on. He made you good at doing good. He made you good at doing the right thing. And if that's not your story yet, just keep on going. God is going to make something good out of your life. Say amen, somebody. Saul was good at all the wrong things. The third thing about Saul was that Saul thought he knew where God was headed. He thought he knew what God was doing in his life. Saul thought, I am working for the Lord. God is blessing my ministry. I'm putting so many Christians in prison that I'm going to be promoted soon. What he didn't realize was that God had another plan. God had a different purpose for his life. Paul had plans. He had ideas. He had strategies. He thought he had it figured out. He thought he had the bull by the horns, but he didn't realize that God had a different plan, that God had a different strategy. And here I go again, but I'm telling some of your stories. Some of you thought you knew where you were headed. You thought you knew what you were doing. You thought you knew what God was up to. But then God took a turn and changed the direction of your life. And he changed the direction of your story. Can I just tell you, Paul didn't know what God was up to. But God knew. And I'm here today to tell you, you may not know what God is doing. But God has a plan for your life. And it is a good plan. It is a plan for hope. And it is a plan for a future. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God who knows what he is doing in your life. You might think, right now, Pastor, my life is out of control. I'm spinning out of control. I don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. God has a plan for your life. God has, an, has a, a, a path that he's taking you on. And you can trust him with it. You can depend upon him to get you where he wants you to go. You might feel like it's out of control, but God is never out of control. And God can even take the detours that you've taken and the wrong turns and he can make them into a blessing and he can take those things you thought were a curse and make them a stepping stone for his purpose and his purpose in your life and his plan for your life. Saul had no idea that God's plan involved him not only not persecuting Christians, but God's plan involved him preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't know, Saul didn't know that he would become known as the Apostle Paul. He didn't know that he would become the first missionary to the nations of the world. He didn't know that he would be writing half of the New Testament. He didn't know that 22,000 years later, preachers would be quoting his words. But God knew what he was up to in his life. And God knows what he's up to in your life. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God who has planned the end from the beginning. And if you will walk with him, 
And if you will trust him, if you will at least fall in his direction of obedience, you will see that God's plan will result in the glory of God and in good for your life. Your life is being written by God. He has taken the pen and he has placed it upon the parchment of eternity. And he knows what he's going to do with you. For that reason, he says, don't worry yourself about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Serve God today. Live for God today. Love God today. God is going to bring about his purpose in your life. So Saul was traveling, thinking he knew what God was doing. Thinking he was on God's side. And then suddenly, on the road to Damascus, there was a suddenly in his life, there was a quick change. Have you ever taken a sudden turn? An unexpected thing? I believe this morning is somebody suddenly. I believe this morning you thought that you were just coming to any church service as usual. But God has a different plan for you this morning. He wants to intercept your life and he wants to intercept your focus and he wants to intercept your destiny because he has work for you to do. He has a calling for you to carry out. Suddenly there was a shift in Paul's life and the Bible said that light came all around him. Now all of us have seen bright lights. All of us have seen the light of the sun. There's no, no light brighter than the sun. But I've never seen a light so powerful that could knock a man down. But that's precisely what this light did. When Saul saw the light, it, it knocked him to the ground. That light was so powerful, it, it, it moved a man who was proud and arrogant to his knees. Now, I want to tell you there are two things about light. First of all, when you read about light in the Bible, it's, it's revelation. Say revelation. What is revelation? Revelation simply means that God tells you something about you that you couldn't know unless he told you. That's called a revelation. When God takes the darkness out of a situation and he gives you insight, that's revelation. That's what Paul had at that moment. When the light came, all of a sudden he had revelation from God. The Bible said that the entrance of the word of God brings light. When you and I hear God's word, the word of God is light to us. You, you don't have to pray when you read the Bible, Lord. Uh, enlighten or uh, illuminate your word. What you have to pray is, Lord, illuminate my mind. Because the word is light. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And when you're going through life and you don't know what to do next, don't go talk to Susie. Don't go talk to Pepe. Go talk to the word. Go read the word. Go talk to the Lord. See what God wants to say to your life. Say amen, somebody. You need revelation. The second thing about the light is that the light exposes everything to reality. You know that when, when you and I stand in the darkness, we don't know really how things are. But the light makes everything real. One day I came to church, I was wearing a jacket different color from my suit pants. And someone very frank and comfortable with me, I guess, they said, Pastor, did you get dressed in the dark this morning? And I thought, how irreverent. To say that to the man of God on Sunday morning. That did, but you know, when you get dressed in the dark, that's what happens. 
Some of you have been getting dressed in the spiritual dark. And so your life doesn't look like it needs to look. But God says, you let me turn on the light and I'm going to expose some things. And that's why people don't want the light. That's why some people don't stand, can't stand coming to church. Because they don't want anybody to turn the light on. But can I tell you, unless the light is on, you can't get your life right. Unless the light is on, you can't get your life straight. You can't get your life, you can't get your life fixed. Unless God puts the light on. Because the light exposes. It exposes the things that are right and the things that are wrong. It shows you things as they really are. When you and I come like Saul under that light, something happened to that man. When he came under the light of revelation and that light illuminated the reality of his life, he thought, I'm on top of the world. But under that light, he realized, I need to get low. He was proud. When he was walking in the darkness, but when the light came on, he humbled himself before God. A man who was up here in his academic sense, a man who, th who knew everything and thought he could learn nothing, was all of a sudden asking questions as he fell upon the ground because he came face to face with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, friend, that if you will let Jesus into your life, his light will shine on you and his light will deliver you out of bondage and darkness and sh sin and shame. And the Lord said to Saul, he said, Saul, Saul. Now notice there, God called this man by his name. Has God ever called you by your name? You realize this morning that God knows you by your name. In the book of Exodus, he said, Moses, Moses. In the Gospels, he called a woman and he said, Martha, Martha. And now he says, Saul, Saul, and to you he calls you by your name because God knows you. He knows every detail about you. He knows your visions, your dreams, your hopes, your plans, your future. He knows your shame and your guilt and your brokenness and your past. He knows the things you think nobody knows. He knows the things that you think that nobody would care about. He cares about every detail of your life. And he loves you. And he calls you by your name because you belong to him. Can I tell you this morning, you are not a stranger to God. God knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to know him and love him so that you can experience all the greatness and glory of God in your life. He said, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now notice that God is teaching Saul right now. Because Saul was persecuting the church. Saul was persecuting Christians. But Jesus didn't ask him, why are you persecuting my church? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the Christians, he said, why are you persecuting me? Can I just tell you something? When somebody persecutes you for the cause of Christ, they're not persecuting you. They're persecuting Jesus. When somebody mocks you for the gospel that you believe in, they're not mocking your faith. They're mocking Jesus. When somebody takes on your faith, they're not taking you on. They're taking on Jesus. What does the Bible say about it? Well, if you read in the book of Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 11 and 12. It said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely accuse you of evil against you because of me. He said, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Say amen, somebody. You see, God has a reward for every person that's persecuted for the cause of righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory is resting upon you. Listen, when somebody persecutes you, and, and they, uh, they attack you or insult you because of your faith in Jesus. All they're doing is signaling that you have the glory of God on your life. Say amen, somebody. All they're doing is signaling that there is something about you that didn't come from you, that it came from God. Now, somebody once asked a question. He said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, that's a good question for private investigation. If you were uh, arrested for being a follower of Christ, would they be able to find the sign that the glory of God is resting on your life? So you know what? The next time somebody makes fun of your faith, the next time somebody accuses you because you're a follower of Jesus or insults you because of your faith in Christ, square your shoulders and keep going because all they're doing is saying the glory of God is on that life. The spirit of glory is on that life. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, the scripture says, But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But glorify God that you bear his name. When you are persecuted for the cause of Christ, it's telling the world, this person bears the name of Christ. And the Lord said to Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? Listen, friends, this week when the devil shows up on your front door, don't fight him. Just call Jesus. Because he's not picking a fight with you. He's picking a fight with the God that lives on the inside of you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, somebody. I said greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The enemy picks on you because he thinks you're all he has to deal with. But he doesn't realize that you are accompanied by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have never lost a contact. Why are you persecuting me? He was saying to Saul, Saul, you are picking a fight with me. And then he uses this phrase. He says, you're not just persecuting me, but you are kicking against the goads. And that's an old English phrase right there. What does it mean to kick against the goads? Well, in the old days when they had oxen, the ox would plow a field, and if the ox was stubborn, the plowman had a long stick with a point on the end. And if the, plow, if the ox would stop, he would prick him, and that ox would keep plowing. He would keep working, and so that was the way that they kept the ox moving. But some ox were particularly stubborn, and when they would goad him with that pointy stick, he would start kicking. And every time he would kick, he would get more of the goad. He would end up shoving his flesh into that point. The Lord said to Saul, Saul, 
you have been kicking against the goad. You have been resisting me. You have been resisting my calling upon your life. You see, Saul of Tarsus had not just now heard the gospel. He had been hearing the gospel for many years. He first heard the gospel because he was present at the stoning of Stephen the martyr. He held the coats of those men that threw those stones and killed the, the deacon of the church named Stephen. And he heard Stephen as he raised up his, his eyes to heaven. And he said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. He had heard the gospel from the mouth of Stephen. And yet he hardened his heart toward God. And then he, he went on a little further. And his teacher, the scholar Gamaliel, he said in a council of the church of the, of the Sanhedrin, he said, look, if this church of Christ thing is a, is a God thing, Nobody will be able to stop it. And if it is not of God, it will fall away. It will fade away. And, and Paul heard that, that message from his teacher, and yet he hardened his heart. And now here he is having a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. And on that encounter with Jesus, he is told, Saul, you have been kicking against the goads. You have been resisting me. It is a hard thing to resist the Lord. That's what the Lord was saying to him. It is a hard thing to resist the Lord. Now look at what Psalm 32 says. Psalm 32 verse 8. It says this. The Lord said, I will guide you with my eyes. Now just think about that for a moment. How many of you? could read your parents' mind by just looking at their eyes. When we were in church and my father looked at us, we knew everything he had just said. If we were acting up and he looked at us, that meant, boy, when we get home, you're going to be in some trouble. He didn't say a word, but his eyes said everything. I've seen some couples, you know, they might be in a crowded room, and one of them wants to leave, and they'll just tell the other with their eyes. And they get up and say, oh, well, you know, it's time for us to go. You know, got to have an early start in the morning. And I think, wow, it's like magic. Could you do that again? How did they do that? Because they're just communicating with their eyes. God said to Israel, I want to lead you with my eyes. I want to lead you with intimacy, with love. But then in the next verse, he said, so don't be like the ox and the mule that has to be goaded along. And it has to be led about by a bit in their mouth. You see, what is God saying there? He's saying, look, if you will let me lead your life, if you will let me guide your life, I will guide you in such a way that you will walk in my love and you'll walk in my peace and you'll know my voice and you'll hear it. But if you won't listen, I'll get you there one way or another. I might have to push and prod. And some of you didn't come to Jesus except for a whole lot of pushing and a whole lot of prodding. But thank God you came. I said, thank God you came. Can I just tell you this? Some people are going to get to heaven on the end of an ox goat. Ouch, ouch. God's just going to get them in one push at a time. But I don't want to have that kind of relationship with God. I want to hear his voice from behind me saying, go to the right, go to the left. This is the way. Walk in it. Come on, somebody. I want to be led by the tenderness of God. You say, Pastor, will God really do that? You know he will because he loves you. He loves you too much to just let you go to hell without prodding you in the right direction without pushing you and pulling you toward his purpose. 
He said, Saul, you've been kicking against the pricks. You've been pushing against the goads. You've been resisting me. And it's hard to do that. Because I have a plan on your life. I have a purpose for your life. And right now it may not appear yet what I'm going to do in your life. But if you will listen to my voice, I'll get you where I want you to go. The Bible said that Saul began to speak and he asked two questions. The first question that he asked was he said, who are you, Lord? You see, the first thing that Saul came to terms with was that Jesus was Lord. Say it with me this morning. Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. You know that there, you just chased every demon out of a 12-mile radius right now. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. Hell can't stand that. What does it mean when I say Jesus is Lord? Well, basically, simply, it means this. Jesus controls and owns my life. It's, it's a, a different thing from just raising your hand and saying, Jesus is Lord. When you acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, you are saying Jesus controls and owns my life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. You know, as your pastor, I don't belong to you. I belong to God. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, could you preach a sermon on this? Nope. Why not? Because God tells me what to preach. Because Jesus is Lord. And every life that acknowledges the lordship of Jesus, can have the blessing of Jesus. But God will not bless a life that he's not Lord of. And God won't bless any area of your life that he's not Lord over. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that in my heart, there is no rival for the throne. Jesus alone sits on the throne of my heart. He controls and he owns my life. He is Lord at all times. In the good times, Jesus is Lord. In the not so good times, Jesus is Lord. When I'm healthy and well, Jesus is Lord. And when I'm under the weather, guess what? Jesus is Lord. When I have a lot of money in the bank, Jesus is Lord. And when I'm a little scarce on finances, Jesus is Lord. Come on, somebody, say it with me this morning. Jesus is Lord. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that he is Lord, especially in those moments when he says no. When my heart is afraid and my flesh is weak and my 
My ears can't hear his voice. And my eyes can't understand or see what he is doing. When I can't understand where God is headed, it's there that my faith rises up to say, Jesus is Lord. And my circumstances cannot alter that fact. Your circumstances cannot alter that fact. Jesus is Lord. He is in control of my life in all times. But not just at all times. He is Lord of all of my life. That means he's Lord in my relationships. He's Lord of my money. He's Lord over sex. He's Lord over entertainment. He's Lord over decisions. He's Lord over the jobs you take. He's Lord, Lord, Lord of every area of your life. And when he's Lord... He doesn't want it to just be lip service. But his lordship is acknowledged with your mouth and with your heart. You ever send your children to take out the trash and they're carrying out the trash grumbling? I don't have to pick me. I always have to pick out the trash. Now I'm going to miss my favorite show. And on and on they go. And what do you say? <clears throat> You see, they're honoring you, but not with their heart. God says, look, I'm Lord. I want you to say with your mouth, but I want you to believe it with your heart. I want you to accept my lordship, my rule, my reign, my sovereignty in every aspect and every space of your heart. To acknowledge my lordship. Because the Bible says that to be saved, the man confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart. It's always coming back to the heart, isn't it? Because God doesn't care so much about what we say. Words are cheap. He's looking for hearts. And say, Jesus, you are Lord. I don't want to make a step. I don't want to do a thing unless you are leading and guiding my life. Saul of Tarsus was on the ground. And he says, Lord, who are you? And what do you want me to do? You see, now that he has acknowledged the lordship of Jesus, now he understands my plan is out the window. My agenda doesn't matter. What I want to do no longer counts. I want to know what does God want to get out of my life. And that is the question that God wants to ask. He wants you to ask him this morning and just say, Lord, who are you? I want to know you better. I want to know you more intimately. I want to know you more deeply. I want to know you beyond what I have reached. And I want to know your plan for my life. I want to know your agenda for my life. And can I just say this? When you ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a daily question. That's a daily prayer. You see, God will tell you what he has planned for your life. But that doesn't make it an automatic thing. You have to pray it in. You have to obey it in. You have to walk in it. You see, you can't just sit on the front porch and wait for it to happen. God has given you an idea where he's taken you in your life. You have to pray that in daily. Lord, what do I do today? 
How do I respond in this situation today? What can you accomplish through my life today? And I want to invest these two questions in your heart this morning. Would you just come to God this morning and say, Lord, I want to know you better. And I want to know your plan for my life. I want to know what you want me to do. Because I promise you this. There's more in you right now than you know. I don't think you heard me. I said there's more in you right now than you know. Some of you think my best days are behind me. My ministry is behind me. My good works are behind me. No, friend. There is more in you right now than you know. And God is looking for a people that will say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. Make me fruitful. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite you into this altar. And here's what we're going to do. There's going to be an altar call for you and the Lord. I'm going to have the elders stay back this morning. Because I want you to just come and talk to God for yourself. I want you to come and find a place to just say, Lord, you are Lord of every area of my life. And if there's not an area in my life that you're Lord over, you're an area that you're not Lord over, I want you to show that to me. And if you ask God that honest question, God will give you an honest answer. If you just come to God and say, God, is there any area of my life where I haven't made you Lord? And he'll tell you what it is. Not only will he tell you what it is, but he'll show you how to walk in freedom from this moment on. Now, we've said it out loud several times this morning, Jesus is Lord. But now I want you to say it with your heart and just come into this altar and spend some time with the Lord. Would you do that? Would you just come into this altar? Make this a house of prayer. Make this a house of commitment with God. And just say, Lord, you are Lord of every area and every facet of my life. Because you see, when you get up, your destiny will be different. The direction of your life will be different. Saul got up from the ground, but he was no longer Saul of Tarsus, the menacing murderer. He was now Paul, the preacher of the gospel. And this morning, this is my prayer, oh God. Encounter our hearts with such power. Convert us until we do not recognize ourselves. Until our old man is dead and buried. And a new man has arisen in life. Till our relationships and our attitudes are obedient to the will of God. Come on. Do business with God this morning.